Hello, and welcome to Pianotech Radio Hour, the weekly bridge to the future of the Pianotech community. I'm David Anderson. And I'm Ethan Janney. And we're here to ask great questions, and then we'll shut up and listen to some of the authorities, experts, and most outstanding personalities in our little world of pianos. So, put on your best set of headphones, and let's get started. Hey, welcome. How many people are here? I don't have my glasses on. 57 right now. What? But we do have 57. Awesome. We have over 150 registered, so. That's beautiful. More more may join us soon. I see seven people, six or seven people are watching on Facebook. Beautiful. Beautiful. Don't forget to say hello to those folks. Hi, Facebook folks. Give them a link to the Zoom chat, too, and remind them that their comments are, are heard and seen i can't tell you how much pleasure it gives me to do this every saturday morning and see the faces of a ton of humans that are nerds like me it's it's it really is kind of a bonding thing like wow look at all these piano nerds this is awesome it's not uh hugging you or shaking your hand but it's not too bad. Anyway, welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour. This is going to be an especially enjoyable hour for me and my awesome partner, Ethan. Say hi, my brother. I'm muted. Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome to Piano Tech Radio Hour. It's wonderful to have you here. Today's guest is a man I've known for a long time. I've seen in a lot of different situations the world champion coach of the Los Angeles Lakers for a while, Mr. Pat Riley, say crunch time reveals all. And I've seen Mr. Lieberman in all kinds of crunch times. And he's an incredibly successful warrior of crunch time in every realm. He's one of the most successful piano technicians I've ever run across. He's a tremendous business advisor, really kind of life coach in a weird way to me because he's just had this moral compass and ethical, like a straight line for apparently his whole career and his whole life. And he's done it very intentionally. And he's a great piano technician and he's become an amazing hybrid tuner and has way more sensitivity toward pianos than he will personally let on which is kind of an attractive quality. He's maintained 35, 40-year relationships with major venues and institutions and beloved private clients. I just think he's got a wealth of knowledge on many things that piano nerds find fascinating. Ethan, if you have something more to say, that would be great. I think maybe now Daniel would say his little public service announcement, kind of. So Piano Tech Radio Hour is being brought to you by Piano Technicians Masterclasses, an online educational resource that offers you cutting-edge instruction from piano industry masters without leaving your home. You can find out more at www.pianotechniciansmasterclass.com slash PTM2020. I know this sounds like a pitch, but it really, honest to God, it happened. Two days ago, this relatively new piano technician called me and said, I took advantage of piano technicians, PTMs, some weird savings plan that Ethan, you, you cooked up somewhere. 
and he got access to my two classes and a ton of other classes for like some ridiculously low number, right? 50 bucks, 40 bucks, something like that. And he said, I've watched them over and over. I've watched all these people. They're amazing. It radically changed my approach to piano technology. Thanks for sharing that, David. I will, should I read the official bio of Carl or should we just move in? Let's just move move in. in. Let's do it. We got the, we got, we got that down. So Carl, tell us what you would like to share with us uh, today. So hi, everybody. I, I love, you know, shower me with praise, but basically I'm just a regular piano technician like all of you out there. I don't have any super special skills. I haven't, uh, you know, spent time at Bosendorfer or Fazioli. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a garden variety professional piano technician. I've got competent, you know, tuning, uh, voicing, regulation, and repair skills. I came up like... As most of you did, you know, I started working in piano stores. I started doing floor tunings. I started doing warranty tunings. I started doing dealer prep. I've worked for school districts. I've done all the grunt work. You know, now I get to do a lot of kind of high-end work, how wonderful it is. But I've my career has spanned all of it. So I'm like a regular in-the-trenches piano tech. You know, up until this COVID thing, you know, I basically... For, I've been doing this for 48 years. I basically work every day. And I work I, I'm, I work a half a day every day. I'm on call. So uh, there are places where I have to be. But I only work a half a day. I think I have a really easy gig. And I, and I want to say, you know, look, I love being a piano technician. I think I'm grateful. I'm blessed. I've been able to support myself and my family my whole life doing this. I'm a happy guy. Successful people are happy and happy people are successful. Our job is to bring good vibes to the people that we deal with. So that's basically, I'm, I'm a regular person. You know, when I started, I, I got twelve fifty for a, uh, for a floor tuning. Private tunings were 15 bucks. You know, it was a lot cheaper. What I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about business things today. I'm going to talk about uh, pricing, really pricing. And I'm going to try and share some research. There's been work done on pricing. And my goal today, my goal today is to be useful to all of you, to help you make more money. You know, I mean, I love what I do. I love being useful. I love being accountable. I enjoy the work that I do. But, you know, I'm a simple guy. I like to make money. When I get up every day and I have a good day and I make a bunch of money, it makes me happy. So I want to help all of you be happier. I want to help you make more money. Okay, that's the basic thing. And so, you know, I I teach tuning classes. And when I teach tuning classes, I usually start out by saying, what are the three most important things in tuning? And then I have a whiteboard and I write down the answers and people say, oh, your unisons have to be great. And I say, well, that's very important. They say, oh, your, your fourths have to beat a little faster than your fifths. And I say, oh, that's very important. And they say, oh, your thirds have to be smooth, beat rate. And I go, oh, that's important. And I say, look, the answer with tuning, it's just like real estate. The three most important things in tuning are stability, stability, and stability. It doesn't matter where you tune a note if it doesn't stay there. And I want to do something similar to that, like when I do business presentations. I like to say, what are the two most important words in running a successful 
piano service business. I'm going to tell you two words. The, these words are the most important words you're going to hear all week. If you don't get anything else from my presentation today, I just want you to get these two words. There's, there's nothing I can say that is more important than these two words. These are the most powerful two words I'm going to expose you to. Okay, okay. What, um, what are these two words? These two words are charge more. No matter how much you're charging, charge more. Most of you do not charge enough. Probably almost all of you don't charge enough, okay? And I, and I want to put things like in, in kind of relation to two categories of tuners, the $150 piano service guy and the $300 piano service guy. Most of you are the $150 piano service guy. I'm the $300 piano service guy. Am I better than you guys? Absolutely not. I'm just like all of you. There are some spectacular people out there much better than me. I'm good enough. I'm proud of my work. I try to do quality work. I try to keep learning. But that's not what makes you successful in business, okay? I want to talk about pricing, and I want to talk about charging more. And there's some really excellent scientific research that's been done on this. You know, the um, there's a, a, an Israeli uh, economist, Daniel Kahneman. He won the Nobel Prize in economics in 2002. And he created a field called behavioral economics. And one of his disciples is a guy named Dan Ariely. And uh, he's a behavioral economist. I'm going to use a lot of his work from a book of his called Predictably Irrational. It's a terrific book. Uh, a lot of his research, he was at the Sloan School for Business at MIT, and now he teaches at Duke. And I want to talk about three of his findings. The first is what he calls the price anchor. And this is really important. It turns out that when you have a negotiation, when you talk to a client, when you do anything, the first number that comes out of your mouth, the first number that is uttered is going to affect every price negotiation you ever have with that client. You better choose the first number that you table really carefully, okay? This is an experiment that he does. He has hundreds of people in his class. He says to them, I want you to write down the last two digits of your social security number. And I want to put you in five groups. Group one is zero to 19. Group two is 20 to 39. 40 to 59, 60 to 79, and 80 to 99. Write down those two numbers. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of items, and I want you to tell me the maximum that you would pay for any of these items. You know, a computer mouse, a bottle of wine, a pair of jeans, a disk drive, a bunch of random items. And he asks people, how much is the most that they would pay for these items? And it turns out that the group whose social security numbers were between 80 and 99, bid on average on the seven objects between 216% and 346% more than the people who were in the group whose last two numbers were 0 to 19. In other words, it's a random number, but by writing down a higher number, 
you're willing to spend more money on things. This number is, is the price anchor. Everything is going to revolve around this number. So, for instance, I want to point out, if you're the $150 piano technician and you want to do, like I like to do uh, a $200 add-on service to my basic service where I kind of, you know, do an action spiff up, you know, where I, I make it play and sound better. I, you know, I shake the hammers, I uh, steam voice and then needle voice the hammers, I lubricate the knuckles with Teflon, I uh, raise the hammer line a little, you know, I basically make it feel better and sound better. I charge a couple of hundred bucks for that. If you're the $150 piano technician and you're selling the $200 service, it's a hard sell. You've gotten your foot in the door, you're charging $150, and now you want people to spend even more, $200 more. If you're the $300 piano service and you're trying to sell the $200 add-on, it's a much easier sell. It's less than what you've already charged to get your foot in the door. It's the gift that keeps giving. Not only do you get more by charging more, but it makes every subsequent service that you're trying to sell easier to sell. Things seem cheaper because they're being compared to a higher starting number. I can't stress how important it is the first number is. When I started, I used to say, oh, a piano tuning was $100 and a pitch raise was $175. And people would ask, how much do you charge? And that's what I would say. And I would say, you know, how long has it been since your piano's been tuned? They say, a couple of years. And I say, oh, it's probably going to need the pitch raise. And they go, no, 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 it's not that far out. It really, it's close. You know, it's only going to need the, the regular tuning. I said, well, we'll see how it is. And of course, the piano always needs the pitch raise. And then people think, well, you're jacking them around. You're stepping them up to the higher price thing. How come it's not the lower price thing? It gets your whole relationship off to people on a bad footing. I now do not do that. I don't. I charge one price. It includes pitch raising. I'll get to that later. But the point number one is I want to stress charge more start with a high number, everything will go better if you do that. Point number two, research on this. The more you pay for something, the higher quality you think it is. If you pay very little and you get a discount, you think it's cheap and it's shoddy. Never give people discounts. Only people who don't need the work give discounts. People who are desperate give discounts. It's crazy to give discounts. It doesn't mean that I'm not a good guy. You know, I charge top dollar all the time. But if someone has a specific need and because I make a lot of money, because I charge top dollar, I can always choose when to be generous. Don't be an idiot. Don't be a hard ass. Be generous. Be a good guy. But the point is, don't give discounts, okay? It makes you a cheap guy. And the, it works like this. There's the, the pricing and quality effect is so important. Two experiments that Dan Ariely does. Number one is with wine. He has three bottles of wine. He turns them around so you can't see the label. All that you know about these three bottles of wine is one is the $8 bottle of wine, one is the $20 bottle of wine, and one is the $100 bottle of wine. 
And he has people drink the wine. And they drink the $8 bottle of wine, and they say, it's, it's wine, it's nice wine. They drink the $20 bottle of wine, and they say, you know, I don't usually spend $20 for a bottle of wine. It's, you know, but it's, it's better than the first one. I, I like it. It's pretty good. The $100 bottle, oh, I've never had a $100 bottle of wine. I wouldn't know what a $100 bottle of wine tastes like. Thank you so much for letting me drink the $100 bottle of wine. Wow, that $100 bottle of wine is great. I love the $100 bottle of wine. Thank you. And of course, what's the answer? They're all the same wine. They're all the same wine. But just by putting a different price on the wine, your experience of drinking the wine has changed. It's even more than that. He, he did a very famous study on the placebo effect with drugs. And they created this whole ruse at MIT where they created, you know, uh, person in lab coats and they created all these brochures about a fake drug company. And uh, they created this fake drug and they brought people in. They gave them shocks. They gave them electric shocks and in varying intensity. And they had them respond into how painful the shocks were. And then they gave them a placebo drug. The drug, in fact, was vitamin C. And they gave them this drug and they told them it was a very new and important painkiller. And uh, they told them it was 250 a pill. And it turns out when they gave them this drug for 250 a pill, virtually all of the respondents experienced a reduction. They took the, the pain test again, the same pain test. They rated how, how painful each of the shocks were. Almost everybody had a reduction in pain, and some people had dramatic reductions in pain. This is telling you how powerful the placebo effect is. It's real, but it also can be manipulated. They then do the exact same experiment. They change the, the brochures and they tell people that this pill costs 10 cents a pill. And it turns out now with the 10 cent placebo, only half the people have a pain reduction and it's a much shallower pain reduction. Just telling people that the pill costs more means that people experience its medicinal effect greater. There's a lot of studies on this. Price matters. The more you charge, the better people think you are, the more satisfied they are with your work. It's the exact opposite. A lot of people think, oh, I don't want to charge more. Then, then people are going to expect more of me. They're going to be more critical of my work. I don't want any problems. I'm going to charge less. Wrong. You're going to have more problems if you charge less. You're going to have less problems if you charge more. Carl has given you a priceless gift, which is counterintuitive truth, because we're all made uncomfortable by raising prices. We all have elaborate stories why no 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 that's good for you but for me for my particular situation no 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 really listen to this now this is not conscious stuff this is old brain limbic system cortex prefrontal cortex stuff this is how the species reacts at the bottom and we're taking advantage of that and he's taking advantage of that be like a doctor be like a woo you know really and truly this is 
priceless gift that he's given you. Let me say, you know, Ariely says, behavioral economists believe people are susceptible to irrelevant influences from their immediate environment and that we are pawns in a game to which we are basically oblivious. All of this stuff is going on and we don't pay attention to it, but it's real. It's not flu-flu, it's real. The third piece of scientific evidence He takes hundreds of his students and he says, I want you to choose which chocolate you would like to buy. I have two pieces of chocolate for you. I have a lint truffle, you know, those round circular things. They come in the beautiful blue, red, gold foil. And those are 15 cents. Or you can have a Hershey Kiss for one cent. And it turns out almost 75% would prefer the lint truffle. They'll pay 15 cents for the lint truffle reruns the experiment, except this time the lint truffle is 14 cents and the Hershey Kiss is free. And it reverses itself. Three quarters of the people want the free Hershey Kiss and one quarter want the lint truffle. Free is not just another price point. Free, people are very loss aversive. And so when you spend money, you can lose money. When something is free, you can't lose anything. Right away, you've gotten over the loss aversion. And free things just make us feel good. So I can't stress enough, you need to be giving away some free crap, okay? Always be giving away some free stuff. Okay, so I I just want to point out, so I'm the $300 guy who is selling piano service. It means I'm giving away a free pitch raise. You know, it used to be I asked people, do they want to pay for a pitch raise? And there's always people out there who say, no, you know, I don't play it with other instruments. It's 15 cents flat. I don't care. Just leave it where it is. I don't don't raise the pitch. I don't. It's fine. You know, look, I'm not that guy. Every piano I tune You know, there's some reasons why I don't. But almost every piano I tune is at A440, period. I'm not asking their permission to tune to A440. When I tune a piano, it's tuned to A440. It's included in my service. I use CyberTuner. I work for CyberTuner. CyberTuner does unbelievably great pitch raises. It's no big deal to be doing great pitch raises really fast. Okay, so I do great pitch raises really fast. And that's what I now do. And there's a lot of things that are included in my $300 service. Okay, what's included? Of course, I'm going to clean the soundboard of a grand piano. Of course, I'm going to adjust and lubricate the pedals. Of course, I'm going to fix a sticky nose. Of course, I'm going to take my chopstick voicer and knock down a couple of high notes that are standing out at me. And I'm going to point this out to people and I'm going to tell them it's free. I'm doing all this stuff. It's free. It's included in my service. And when I look at doing add-ons to my service, if something is really small, it's a really small thing, I don't do any $50 add-ons, okay? If it's a $50 add-on, it's free, okay? If I'm going to do an add-on, if I'm replacing broken strings, if there's a note that's broken and I'm taking the action out and I'm fixing it, it's a $100 add-on. There's a $100 add-on or there's free add-ons. 
That's how I price my services. If it's not worth $100, then it's free. You know, there's a lot of other aspects of running a business that I'd like to talk about, but I'd like to take a break at this point and just let you digest. Charge more. Everything in your business life will go better if you charge more. See if there's any anyone wants to respond to that. I would love to interject here with some compliments to what you're saying. I've definitely charged it at uh, all kinds of levels of the price range. I remember when I moved to New York, I was probably one of the least expensive people you could hire. I even got flack for that from other technicians, you know, here and there, like I'm lowering the value of the service. That was an okay strategy for a little bit, but my strategy was to over deliver, make sure I got a lot of great feedback and referrals. And that when I charged less, like let's say I charged, and this was several years ago, let's say I charged somewhere around $75 for a tuning and other people are charging $150. You're telling them they're getting $150 tuning for $75. It's way different than if you just say, I'm giving you a $75 tuning. So that's that's one thing from from my experience. And then I went from being one of the the least expensive to moving on to understanding things um, like you're telling that actually to become one of the more expensive tuners. And for the very reasons that that you've said that people value it more, you actually deal with less complaints. The clients that are trying to save are often trying to save in all sorts of ways, and they don't even really value what they've purchased. They don't think it's worth that much. And so they'll treat it. They'll treat you like you're not worth that much. And if they value what you do, they'll treat you better. David, did you have any comments on that? Everything that we're hearing right now is so true. My personal experience, 98, and then 98 beating again, and then 99, I had like a personal kind of awakening. I jumped back into PTG, and I realized I'm a lot better than my story tells me I am, right? I'm just a lot better piano technician. And my income was... Basically flatlined for many years at that, at that time, 50, 60,000, 70, not even, just one year after another. After I had that awakening and started getting influenced by people like Carl, I literally doubled my income in two years. I raised my prices 80% and then that final 20% in another year. In 2001, I charged double. And lost none of my good clients, nobody I cared about. And I really did start to believe that I don't want price shoppers. I don't want a long-term relationship with them. They have a, a different way of looking at the world than I prefer to look at it. In the year 2000, I was charging 110 and I was charging 185 for a pitch raise. And, uh, you know, I had been using CyberTuner for four years. You know, CyberTuner does such an unbelievable pitch raise today. But even back then, it did a really damn good job. And I would have the experience of charging someone 185, doing a pitch raise, coming back a year later, and the piano was absolutely at pitch and really in tune. And now I'm going to charge the people 110. And I said to myself, what's wrong with this picture? I really know what I'm doing. I'm doing a great job for them. The piano is stable. It's great. And I'm going to make less money. What's wrong with this picture? And the next day, after having this thought, I said, I'm making my charge $185. This is in the year 2000. I went from 110 to 185 overnight. And what I found is over the course of the next 12 months, I had three people 
say to me, wow, you're expensive. I'm not going to use you. And I had hundreds of other people pay me an extra $75. It was a no-brainer. I made lots of extra money. Pricing is actually very, inel- you know, it's, it's what they call inelastic. It, it, we're in a low-priced business. If you're charging $150 or you're charging $300, it's not that much money, guys. And so it's basically cheap. There's no difference between $150 and $300. And so people think if I raise my price $10, oh, my God, the sky is going to fall. And, oh, raise my price from $150 to $300. What do you you want me to do, commit suicide? It's not true. It's not going to happen. Nobody cares. That's the reality. That's just my opinion. I'd like to talk a little bit more about the service call. You know, how to think of a service call and some tips for getting the most out of a service call. In general, it's really good to sit down and try to be intentional about your business. Think about the type of business that you like to do. What are the jobs that you do that you're really happy doing and you feel good? And try to get those to be the type of work that you do every day. It turns out that the type of work that you do every day generates the type of work that you're going to do every way every day if you're working on some crappy spinet for a guy who's pissed off that he's paying you 150 dollars he's going to refer you to other people just like that if you're working for someone who has a really nice piano and is paying you 300 dollars he's going to refer you to people who are like that do the type of work you like to do. First, do some exploration about what type of work it is you want to do. Be intentional. We have a colleague, Dan Levitin in Brooklyn, one of, one of the greats in our profession. And Dan is very, he's very thoughtful, very intentional about everything he does. He is intentional about how he rings the doorbell. And it turns out that's a very important thing. How many times have you gone up to the doorbell, you ring the doorbell, did I push it long enough? Did I actually ring the doorbell? Maybe I, maybe they didn't hear it. Maybe I should ring it again. You lean up to the doorbell, you're pushing it a second time and the person opened the door and there's your face right in their face at the, at the, at the door because you're ringing the doorbell a second time. As Dan says, push the doorbell, hold it for two to three seconds and then stand back. It turns out that people decide whether they can trust you within 20 seconds. They've sussed you out in 20 seconds. This is Matt Malcolm Gladmill's research in Blink. So you want to look good. You don't want to be in their face. You want to be who you are. You want to be smiling. You want to have nice tools, whatever it is, however you want to present yourself. But in those first 20 seconds, are you for real and are you trustworthy? Now you come in. And what I like to say is the first five minutes of your service call are all nonverbal cueing. You're conveying to your clients that you know what you're doing and you're trustworthy. And there are ways that you do this. For instance, you know, I have colleagues, you know, you come in and there's 40 pictures on the piano. Okay. There are people who say, oh, look, could you take that stuff off the piano? Um, You know, it's like it's an annoyance. How come you didn't prepare for me coming? How come you didn't take that off the piano? You know, didn't you realize I can't have that stuff on the piano? You take it off. I don't want to break anything. 
you know, I think when there's stuff on the piano, this is an opportunity for me to act out. I very, I say, don't worry. I very carefully pick up all the pictures, lay them down on the floor or on a table. And I do it in such a way that I demonstrate I care about their stuff. I am conveying to them that I respect their stuff. I'm going to put it back in the same order I found it. It's a way of making me trustworthy, okay? All of these are props that you need to use in the first five minutes to convey that they should trust you. And the thing is, practice makes perfect. You do this as an exercise and it just becomes completely second nature. No, you're so right, David. I, I want to say, you know, we, you, you people who are performers know this. I've watched a million rehearsals, so I've seen this. Performers can say stage patter that they've done a hundred times and it sounds completely natural and off the cuff and it's perfect. You have to think of a service call as a performance. You've perfected it. You've, I've worked on it. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I've done it a hundred times. I'm not unsure of myself. I take responsibility. It's just like a performance. There's nothing wrong with rehearsing. It's good That's to right. rehearse. That's you right. do things better that way. That's right. Then the next step of that is as you're sitting in the car, turning it off, walking up to whatever entrance you're going into, that you say, okay, uh, how am I doing right now? And really become a happy camper. That's the whole point. These people do not need you to drag your beef with your partner or an argument with your kid or a depressing email or politics or the world or anything they're hiring you because they want you to bring a bit of light through that door well we bring good vibes david listen huh? we we bring good vibes we we control vibrations we're tuners but we also bring good vibes that's our job when i'm in a control room of a recording studio i keep my mouth shut i'm the piano tuner people don't want my opinion i'm happy to be there but i'm trying to radiate good vibes everywhere i am i'm just trying to radiate good vibes so i want to say the second most important thing at the service call I go and I play every note while the person is there. Most people are going to leave. They think what we do is boring. It's painful. They're gone. But I want them there right at the beginning. I play every note. I want to notice if one note is broken. It doesn't work. I said, did you see your E doesn't work? Yes, I can fix that. The cost is $100. Go ahead and fix it. Okay? Uh, by the way, is there anything with the piano that I should know about? Is there anything bothering you about the piano? Take a history and physical. You're like a doctor. These five minutes when you're at the piano talking to the person are absolutely crucial. Don't try and gloss over this. You're going to make more money if you do it. You're going to satisfy them. I don't want to hear when I got home, oh, I forgot to tell you. When I use the loud, the, the sustain pedal, I can't repeat the notes. I forgot to tell you that. 
I don't want to find that out when I got home. I want to find out when I'm at the piano. So that, that's the same thing. Do a history and physical. And this is the second thing I want to say. The most important part of your service call is the five or ten minutes at the end when you schmooze with the client. I ask people what they do. I want to get to know about them. I want to make a personal relationship with them. Here's the, the money shot. Here's the most important thing. My clients are my sales force. I don't know if you've seen this thing. John Parham just uh, published on PTGL. About 80% of your business are either repeat business or referrals from your clients. Okay? I deputize all of my clients to be my sales force. They're out there right now, unbeknownst to me, promoting me. I want my people to always be promoting me. And in order for them to promote me, I have to put words in their mouth. I have to tell them what I want them to say to their friends. It's a performance. I'm a performer when I'm doing my shtick, okay? I want to be compelling in some way so that they talk about me. Okay, uh, you know, I had this guy at my house today. Wow, it was really cool. My guy tunes Elton John's piano. Whatever it is that makes you special, put those words in your mouth. If you you work at the church down the block where a lot of people go, you take care of the piano at that church. Tell them, I'm the guy who takes care of the piano at that church. This isn't bragging. You know, Rabbi Hillel has the, the phrase many years ago, he says, if I am not for myself, who will be? You've got to promote yourself. Sales are made. They don't happen. We have to promote ourselves. I'm not ashamed to promote myself. I believe in myself, okay? So I promote myself shamelessly. You should too. There's a ton of questions and comments in the chat. Kevin Clem just brought up a comment. Depends on the region, though, doesn't doesn't it? Any comments about so where your location and your pricing? Any thoughts on Look, that? Look, I'm in West Los Angeles, one of the richest places in the country. That helps, of course. But what I'm saying is true at all time in all places. It's actually charge more. You've convinced yourself some garbage, some negative script about why you don't deserve it, why you'll scare people away, why bad things will happen. You've made that crap up. It's not true. A good rule of thumb, you know, just, just off the cuff of what we're talking in the conversation here, just charge more than anybody else. You know, it doesn't have to be, we're not throwing out specific numbers here. If everybody's doing that, then they'll, you'll find the limit. You know, people stop calling you, <laughs> but you know, you can always test a new price and you could always step it back if you feel like it's necessary. You made a mistake. How much of your success as an artisan piano technician is because of how you show up and then how you act as 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 Carl is talking about as I talked about in every single comprehensive how you do this stuff class that I've ever taught it's the same stuff how you show up and then how you perform how you bring the goods and still be a yourself authentic appropriate completely professional. You know, people love that. Everyone wants to think they have someone special working for them because it makes them look good. They hired you. 
So, you know, if you if you present yourself as being special, they want to talk about you because it makes them look good. Carl, Larry Lobel says he, he learned this from you at a convention class years ago, and it has served him very well. So that's good to hear. Question about how many pianos are you serving a day? How many clients do you have? Very, very interesting. Okay, so listen, I'm different than all the rest of you because let's say a typical work week for me is five private clients and eight commercial tunings. And the eight commercial tunings are three. I do a cruise ship every week. So three, three cruise ship pianos. I do two recording sessions every week. I do two hotel tunings every week. And I do one at the concert hall tuning every week. So my eight, eight commercial tunings that I do every week. And by the way, I charge less for those. Let's say I charge $200 on average for those because I'm doing over and over again. But they also give me credibility working in the recording studio, working at the concert hall gives me credibility. I'm willing to get a non-pecuniary benefit. But I do, let's say, my 13 tunings a week. I do my five privates. I start early in the morning. I have the uh, code to the studio. If I, I get texts at 10 at night, downbeats at 10 o'clock, be in the studio. I can always get in before anything else. I get in early at the studio. I do my commercial work first. Then I usually schedule my private person every day from between 10 to 12. And then I'm done. I'm done. That's I'm done after after my 10 to 12 thing. The only exception is concert work. Concert work means you tune the piano at two o'clock and again between six and six thirty. Okay. And so when on days that I'm doing concert tunings, I'm working at two and between six and six thirty. And but then usually I go to the concert, you know, so you know I, I don't mind being there at six thirty. Quick follow-up in terms of if that's your schedule, do you have a sense of how many clients, because you have repeats that you do maybe every week, every month, how many total you might be serving in a, in a year? I do 13 times 50. I do 650 tunings a year. This is a great question, and I've got some things to say. You probably could have some things to say. How does the 150 tuner, and again, these are just example numbers, right? Just, you, you guys can charge whatever you want. Um, how does a uh, 150 tuner go up to $300. Is it in stages, time frames? Any suggestions? I went from 110 to 185 overnight, and I went from 185 to 285 overnight. People who are really into making money, they would say, I'm not getting any price resistance. I didn't get any price resistance when I made those jumps. I don't get any price resistance ever in my – people would say, I'm not charging enough. I'm charging enough that I'm comfortable with what I'm charging. I don't have a need to charge more. But I'm just saying if you're not getting resistance, you're not charging enough. That's exactly right. I did it more gradually than Carl did over like a year's period or two-year period. I think I doubled. But I didn't lose anybody that I cared anything about. Uh, out of 1,200 clients, maybe I lost 10 that were – you know, iffy kind of price shoppers anyway. And it's, it's a liberation and it's really scary to do. I'm much less bold than Carl. I took me a, a lot longer to do it, but it as same result, success, more money, my God, uh, more self-confidence too. A way to do it softly and gradually, which has worked well for me is you just 
change the prices for new clients. And then you, you for the new clients that you have, they just know what it is. That's what part of is. the price anchor thing, Ethan. It's harder to change the price on old clients. As it mm-hmm. turns out, you know, unless people are paying you with Quicken and you're in the system and they and the old number comes up, a lot of times people don't remember what they paid you last time. I keep it in my database. I have a record of every tuning for every client and what I charge them. So I know what I charged them last time. But most of the time they don't know. I put a link to an article I wrote partially inspired by by Carl. I put it in earlier, but you can check it out. But one thing you can think about too is if you if you charge twice as much and you lose half of your clients, you make the same amount of money and you do half amount of work. So this is something to think about if you're afraid of taking that step. It might not end up all that bad even if you move if you lose half your clients. You probably won't. You won't. And statistics are dangerous because they're revolutionary and they cut through and kind of shatter your negative stories about why you can do this and you can't do this. Just to send an addendum to Jim Clem, I know piano technicians that live out in, you know, rural areas with a hundred thousand total uh, humans and they're at the top of their food chain and they're, they're getting calls. You know, they're, they're working and they're, they're charging way more than anybody else in their region because they deliver on all of these ways that Carl's talking about. So I think you made a comment in this, but Bruce Gibson says, would you please walk us through your initial discussion with a new customer and with longtime customers? It sounds to me like a lot of times you just kind of say what the price is, but do you have any input on that? I'm lucky in the sense, most of the people who contact me are prior clients or referrals from private clients. I have a website. I'm not trolling for new business. And so they're pre-sold. Lots of times people don't even ask me how much I charge. They're a prior client and they want it service again, or they were referred by one of my clients and they have to have me. Okay. And so usually I may ask them about their piano. I may want to find out what, what sort of issues are going on so I can prepare for it. So I can think about it. Um, with new clients, they're going to ask me my price and my prices. I, you know, I charge 285. That's what I charge. I'm not, I'm not coy about pricing. You know, but I like having a number. That's what I charge. And that's my basic service call. And if I have to live with not making a penny more than that, I'm happy with that. Thanks for that. Next one. uh, When you come across something broken that is going to cost you most time, how do you get approval for the $100 example you gave? I'm at the piano and I noticed it was broken. The person sees I played the E and no sound comes out. It's not playing. It's not working. I can fix that. Let me say another thing also. Broken strings. You know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm, I'm a professional piano technician. I can replace broken strings. I can splice almost any blo- broken bass string. But, you know, I work on a lot of Yamahas. I carry complete sets of Yamaha C1, C2, C3, C5, C6, C7 bass strings in my car. When I come to a string at a commercial venue in someone's house and they have a broken string, I can say to them, the string's broken. You know, I've got the string with me. Because remember, if I have to come back and replace the string, I'm charging you $285. That's my service call. But if I've got the string with me and I just put it in and I'm charging you $150 or $200 to replace that string, when I replace two strings, I've I've more than paid for the set of strings. 
In other words, I, I invest in my business. I have every tool. I have every part. I take every training I, I can avail myself of. I invest in my skills and I invest in my tools and my parts. And you're getting great value when you get me because I've got the part when I'm there. That's a great other side of it, too, um, that is important to bring up. It's not just about charging more for the sake of taking more money. When you have when you have more money at your disposal to work with, you can actually become a better technician. I think that's something that, that you've highlighted before. And also somebody else brought up, well, we have to be careful because there are going to be technicians that, you know, are kind of young and brash and they're kind of going out there and they're kind of running away, charging too much. I would say this, and maybe you have something else, Carl, to say. We might find this specific comment, but if you're on this call and you've been on these calls and you kind of care about your career and your skills as much as most people on these calls are, you're probably not in that category. But I don't know if you have anything else to say about that, Carl. No, and, and by the way, even if you're kind of, you fake it before you make it, even if you're like out there and you're not really as good as you will be, this helps you grow into it. If you charge more, all of a sudden, there's more responsibility to deliver. The expectations are higher. You're going to That's force right. yourself to get better. It's not That's a bad right. learning experience. That's right. You're jumping up into another level. Maybe you're not quite ready for it. This is the story of my career, getting thrown into deep parts of the pool that I had no business being in, but I was challenged, man. Can you do this? No, I better learn, right? So it's being bad first, on-the-job training. And after 40 years, man, you can have a job and an income and a, and a security just like having a, you know, like a, some steady job with some steady pay and retirement and everything. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's up to you what you want. I'm going to try to shoot through these. Yeah, we may be able to hit them all. Um, I'll summarize Tim Michael's question. What about people ask for discounts? My minimum fee is my fee. Now, what happens when I get someone who I, I, I like them? They're a musician. They're, they're good. And I could do extra stuff for their piano for free. I do it. I do it. I'm a good guy. You know, I, you're, you like having me work for you. And what happens if I have someone who says, you know, look, I, I I can pay, you know, I agree to the 285, but it's really hard for me. And I can say to them, well, what, what would be good for you? Say, I, I could really, 200 would be good for me. And the answer is, you got it. I'm charging you 200. I can be generous. I'm successful. I make a lot of money. I can choose when to be generous, but I don't give discounts. Like that response. Thank you. Um, how much time do you spend in a client's home? Between 75 and 90 minutes is my basic service call. Perfect. There is in the other chat, there's another sort of related question. As you offer many free services, free in quotation marks, do you plan longer appointments? I'm fast. You know, I can, I can tune a piano in 20 minutes for real, you know, but I don't do that. I, but I've, you know, I've learned to be really fast. And the thing is, and I can do a pitch raise in a, uh, you know, a pitch raise in tuning and certainly in an hour. So it leaves me time to do other stuff and I need time to schmooze. But, you know, I like, I like to add a, a 90 minute action spiff up. If I said another 200 bucks and let me spend some time working on your action and let me make it sound better and play better. I love doing that stuff, you know, but that's why I schedule 
my first appointment at 8.30, and my second appointment between 10 and 12, okay? So if the first appointment takes three hours, I'm still getting to the second appointment on time, and I don't schedule anything after that. And by the way, don't be overscheduled. You've got people are out there scheduling four tunings a day, and someone calls, and you say, I can get to you in three weeks, That's crazy. We're in the service business. When people call and they want their piano service, they want it serviced tomorrow. Okay? Maybe I can get to it tomorrow. Maybe I can get to it in two days or three days. I can always squeeze you in because every afternoon is blank for me. So if someone good calls who I want to be my client, I'll get to you tomorrow. Period. Yeah, it's a dance. My practice looks nothing like Carl's or did before, you know, this whole thing happened. Uh, but it's, it's as, as fruitful. You know, I, I, I just do different things, different, have different ways of serving my clients. What it ends up as is the same exact thing because we're both given our clients massive value besides just running in and, tuning and leaving. We're given massive value. They're paying for the value, but they're perceiving they're getting <clears throat> this massive value. That's why they're loyal. Yeah, my clients they, are happy. They're happy to pay me. They're absolutely. not, oh my God, it's like they're happy to pay me. The vast majority, absolutely. No question about it. That's the answer to a happy practice. How many of you with good practices feel that relationship skills and how you are in the space with your state of being, your consciousness is really important to success. We're wrapping up here soon. Ian has posted a review link in the chat and also a place where you can sign up for our piano technicians masterclasses. But as we're wrapping up, just for a symbolic and maybe a little bit of a commitment, anybody want to make a commitment that they're going to raise their prices in the next, I don't know, couple months? Uh, just say, I'll do it. Or whatever you want to say. Yeah, and congratulations to you guys are taking this seriously. Um, I think Carl's put some really great scientific research in front of us and great information. Appreciate it, Carl. We'll pop the review link in here one more time. We'll, we'll uh, pop the sign up link for piano technicians master classes. And, uh, while those things are, are, are in there, make sure you give us your feedback. Make sure you sign up for PTM. That's a great way to make your practice better. Any final words from, from you, Carl? No, listen, I, I want to thank you for inviting me. I mean, you know, what a privilege. You know, I'm, I'm at a point in my career that I can give something back. If I was useful to anyone on this call, it makes my day. I'm grateful for all of it. Thank you. That's why we love you, my brother. Thank you so much. Ethan, the best partner I could ever have. Thank you so much. For sure, David. Thank you for your generosity. Okay, folks. Well, we'll probably uh, sign off here in a second. I'll just take some logistical things to get off off the computer. We appreciate you so much for sharing this time with us. And we appreciate you for what you do out there tuning pianos and taking care of the music and just uh, wishing the best for all of us, hopefully, as we make a transition back to work here coming up soon. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll sign off soon. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Remember that you can catch us live online every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. Go to pianotechradio.com to register so you can interact live and ask questions of our guests. See you next week.